the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. We have in studio with us today the producer of Lifeline, Wanda Sanchez, along with her co-author, Shelley Beach. The book is called Love Letters from the Edge, Meditations for Those Struggling with Brokenness, Trauma, and the Pain of Life. You were mentioning, Shelley, before the break about the importance of taking time to grieve. Mm-hmm. To even acknowledge a sense of loss is something that oftentimes is part of that disconnect that prohibits healing from happening. And I think a lot of it goes back to the sense that we're, we're so used to being on the stage performing to get through in life because, after all, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I pastor a church. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I wasn't raised like that. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And yet those feelings are real, and the loss is real, and yet it's almost as if a parent or a loved one passes away. We do no funeral, no memorial service. Mm -hmm. We don't post a notice in the newspaper. We don't have a grave to go and put flowers at. There's never any sense of acknowledgement. Right. And lacking acknowledgement, there's no way that you can ever get a sense of closure about that. Right. So is it true with trauma as well, that there's just this huge disconnect? Yes. Because sometimes the grief of the lost innocence of childhood or, or whatever it might be is just unacknowledged. And there's so many facets and layers to that. I mean, the yeah. book gives you opportun- gives the reader opportunity to journal about some of those things. But even like... Um, just I'll just bring this up because there are so many women that I know who struggle with this. But for instance, um, women who've had a, a sexual assault or, or multiple sexual assaults, whether they be same sex or, or the opposite sex or whatever, um, that will affect your marriage. That will definitely affect your marriage and intimacy. But yet it's I've never heard it addressed from the pulpit. I've never heard any pastor preach about That's it. True. Even pa- even in churches where I've been, where they talk about um, intimacy and marriage and sex and marriage, I've never really heard that issue talked about. And yet, yet twenty five percent of women will experience a sexual assault at some point in their life. So, it, it there is a loss there that is going to affect women just in that in that sense and in so many other senses. Let's say your parents were incarcerated. Um, there are going to be things that you're going to lo- who's coming to your concerts, who's going to your baseball games, you know, who's teaching you certain things. You know, um, there are layers of loss that are there. Who, uh, were your siblings separated? Were they together? Um, and and those some of those things you just said, if they're happening to you, you as a kid, you you feel double failure, double everything. If you if you're torn away from your family, then you're torn away from your siblings, then you're put in a place that you know it's called something like the home for unwanted children what a great name huh <laughs> you know then you're just like you have more stuff you know you're you're responsible for the failure of your family and you know even if you're only six well not only does this paint then a bleak picture in terms of being able to address your past your history but makes your future look pretty bleak too doesn't it i mean in other words it, it, if you come through that kind of environment 
you've never seen a healthy marriage modeled. You right. don't know right. what it looks like right. Right. for dad to come home and mom to say, honey, I miss you. Give me a big right. kiss. Dinner's yeah. waiting. The kids are here. You've never seen that. Now you move on and you eventually right. get married because that's what adults do. Yes. But you don't know what a healthy relationship looks like because there never was one in your past. And so, therefore, there'll never be one in your future either because you don't know how to behave. That's right. right. No one's and modeled it. And just in... Just in the health realm, I just want to touch on this because so many people don't know. Kaiser Permanente did a, a study on adverse childhood effects, and they, they laid out 10 different adverse childhood experiences that you could have when you're young. Like uh, subs, if there was substance abuse in the home, if there was a parental separation or divorce, mental illness, uh, uh, if the mother was beaten or, or abused, if there was criminal behavior in the home, or psychological abuse, physical abuse, emotional neglect, or physical neglect. So those are kind of the 10 categories. And then and they developed a scale and they did a longitudinal study over a period of many, 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 many years. And they said, basically, if you experience four of those in your lifetime, 25 years off your life equates to 25 years off wow. your life. Just I know the sheer stress, just the sheer stress and what it does to your immune system, what it does to um, it, it, what that where it puts you in terms of risk of heart, heart disease, um, stroke diabetes, every other thing. So I know many, many people who fall into the categories here of of all ten mm-hmm. or nine multiple times. You know, I might I myself have just experienced a few of these, but I've experienced them multiple times. Um so just the just the physical effects of what is happening and we, we wanted to write the book because a lot of people don't know why they feel a certain way or why they can't get out of the cycle. Um, one of the words that Wanda used was stuck. She felt mm-hmm. stuck. And um, when we talk about this, wherever we are in churches, or people are almost standing up and going, I never knew, I never knew. And <laughs> this will give resources in the back just about PTSD, but it gives hope about the fact that you can be healed and Comfort from God. Comfort from God. (laughs) And I would suspect that many eavesdropping on this conversation right now are also having that aha moment Mm -hmm. with a spouse or a a loved one or a child. We have spoken in places, many conferences where literally parents are standing up. She said that on purpose because standing up in the middle of a speaking and crying, saying, thank you, thank you, finally, for the first time. And, you know, that happened a they few times. The lights the go on. It's awesome when the lights go on. You know, your, 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 your husband is cranky, seems to get angry over mm-hmm. the most yes. minuscule thing. Mm-hmm. Dinner is five minutes late. The potatoes were not hot enough, you know. Yep, that's true. And flies into this rage. And, okay, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. There's an overreaction here. What is going on? And neither you nor your spouse understand the impact of events that have happened so far back. That is now built up and built up, and it's layer upon layer of anger and resentment and And mistrust. If I can mention, there's also, we know these people, actually, personally, and there are many more. Again, we've run into people in conferences that have said, oh, my goodness, that happened to me or my son or whatever. Medical trauma, pre-verbal medical trauma. Uh, over 30 years ago when um, babies would have surgery, 35 years ago, 40, they, doctors for some reason did not believe babies could feel pain. So guess what? Babies had surgery without anesthetic back then. 
So we know someone that had had been removed from his mother at birth and flown to a, a hospital and had, um, a, what is it called? A, a, an esophageal fistula. So something here, he had to have multiple surgeries over, like in a few days time. Bless his little heart, all that without anesthesia. Didn't know any of this. Did, no, no one had a clue. So years later, he's 20 years old. He's never been able to, to keep himself together. His parents and the rest, the, his other siblings are perfectly fine, wonderful Christian home. This kid never, he just could not ever cope. He'd been diagnosed with ADHD and every other thing that you could be diagnosed with as a child, you know, because of performance totally issues. Totally non-social. He ended up as a young man, 21, 22 years old, as a shepherd at a monastery because they thought, well, maybe he could handle the sheep, you know. Couldn't. Whatever happened, he didn't. It didn't help him there. The monastery actually said, you got to take your son when he's very sick. They ended up saying, we don't know what's wrong with him. It took him to this place that I went. That's how we found out about it. And which is not, it's not even in existence anymore uh, as a clinic. So we're not trying to push the clinic. Um, but he went in, they just started talking to him about just everything. You know, do you remember anything from your birth? They go back and they talk to him about his, his trauma, not even knowing anything about, they certainly didn't know the mother and the son that it was going to be something like, you know, but he started to identify and familiar things about the surgeries and the feelings. And you know what? In five days, this man was set free from a lifetime of craziness. It was his story that prompted me um, to recommend the treatment center that Wanda went to, which I've got to tell you on day three, I there was a whole new person who walked out of that, that place. It was phenomenal, the changes that I saw. But um, the the treatment that that treatment center offered is still available and now they're tra- doing online training for therapists and also you can go online and just as a person a lay person it's very right brain orient- oriented a lot of writing a lot of art a lot of um you know accessing the right brain and getting it hooked back up with the left side and that's and, not um, something that you necessarily need to go to a clinic for you can do that yourself yeah there are a lot of things do we have to give ourselves permission though to understand that it takes time to unwind yes, this absolutely big ball it's of a ball yarn yep <laughs> yes that we have gone through this yeah. years yes. ago that we have been coping with it in the only way that we knew how yep. maybe we didn't yes. even realize that we were coping with it we Most were just trying to yeah survive and now to come back out of it this is not as if and i and i say this because i'm going to get in trouble with some listeners here but why not <laughs> people say well i but i went to church and i and i prayed and i accepted people jesus and i read right. the bible and i would people to pray from the pastor came and anointed me with oil and right. why am i still feeling like this and we feel as if somehow we're looking for a spiritual answer one quick flip a switch answer right that fails to recognize the cumulative impact right. of the years of the trauma itself, of the coping mechanisms yes. that have failed us. Yes. Of an adrenal system that got totally destroyed and is now, it's the adrenal system is... I don't have one. ...so destroyed, yeah, that it affects every area of the body. Let's pause for a moment. We're going to come back to more of our conversation. Some closing comments. Shelly Beach, Wanda Sanchez, Love Letters from the Edge, information about the book at ptsdperspectives.org. That's ptsdperspectives.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Welcome back to the conversation. With me today in studio, the executive producer of Lifeline, Wanda Sanchez. She and her co-author, Shelley Beach, a new book out called Love Letters from the Edge, Meditations for Those Struggling with Brokenness, Trauma, and the Pain of Life. Newly released by Kriegel Publications. You can get more information about the book online at ptsdperspectives.org. That's ptsdperspectives.org. The big question for many who at a level know I have problems with relationships. I feel trapped sometimes. There are days that when night comes, I'm terrified. For other people, when day comes, they're terrified. Mm -hmm. I know there's something going on here, and I've tried the self-talk, and much of it is all negative and reinforcement of all the lies. Where do I start? The big question for everybody who, in the course of our conversation here today, has said, "Aha, uh-huh, that's me you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's my husband you're talking about. You just described my daughter. Mm-hmm. How do we start this process of healing? Well, first of all, let me just say that there is the most... I don't know if you've looked at it, the most amazing back section of this book. Lots of resources. Lots of resources. One that addresses that question in particular, where do I start? We wanted this book to be a resource for people who just don't know what to do and where to go. So we included resources in the back, um, places that treat trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder, um, all kinds of questions about the basics of PTSD and trauma, and what do I do, where do I start, Um, I think the most important thing is just to sit down and and kind of inventory your life. Have you experienced those big T traumas in your life? And have you seen some of the symptoms? And Wanda, just talk about some of the symptoms of PTSD. And also, I was going to add to that. have a friend that you trust. Yes. Someone that you trust, because it's not going to be fun or easy uh, doing it all by yourself. It's not even actually recommended. You can, but the whole thing is to try and... You know, not do the same things you've always done, which is mostly probably be solitary and, you know. Hey, so. let me jump in here and get in trouble again. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. That doesn't always necessarily mean running to your pastor. Oh, no, no, no. And I say that with all the love in my heart. Yes, absolutely. Most pastors are ill-equipped. Yes. For any of this. Sadly, yes, that's true. Sometimes right. pastor will say, well, let's just pray right. about it. Absolutely. And we'll bring it up in prayer at church yep. on Sunday. Right. <laughs> that re-traumatizes the individual. Right, so right. I, I'm not saying it, right. if your church has facilities, right. people, right. Right. ministries that specifically deal and speak to this, right. yay! Absolutely. Yes. And if they not, if they don't, just be cautious. Right. Be cautious. And there are there is help out there. There is help out there. And we again, we give a lot of that in the book. Yes. What, was that, what question was I? Well, I just wanted to comment on the fact that I'm a di- diabetic. I also have multiple sclerosis. And I go to specialists in multiple sclerosis and diabetes. I've had brain surgery. I had a doctor who was a specialist, a neurosurgeon who did my brain surgery. And my um, my mental health is an area that deals with my brain and my brain um, responds based on chemicals and electrical responses and and there's a biochemistry element there that is part of PTSD and trauma and mental health and so I have utmost respect for my pastor and I've talked to him about all kinds of issues including this but when it comes to treatment I need to go to someone who understands my brain just the way my medical specialists understand the rest of my organs in my body. Yeah, people seem to forget that, you know, 
it's a muscle, <laughs> you know, and it's just like if I hurt any other muscle, it's it's not any different than being treated by that doctor for that muscle. So it's a very are, complex and, organ. And, and as you mentioned here from the very get-go, there are intellectual aspects of this. There yes. are emotional aspects yes. of this. There are definitely spiritual um, aspects. spiritual aspects of this, Absolutely. to be sure. There's also um, physiological aspects right. of this that gets into, as you said before, the mm-hmm. endorphins that come from the body's attempt to try to deal with the trauma in the moment Absolutely. and all of that stuff. Now, all of a sudden, we've moved from talking to our priest or our pastor to talking to our medical doctor. And the other thing I want to mention about the book, so that people are not scared off, this is not a clinical book in the sense that you're thinking, oh my God, 500 pages and it's written by a (laughs) professor and this is very (laughs) difficult. This book is very approachable and it's written in bite-sized chunks Mm -hmm. so that you can come to it. Don't feel like you've got to write 50 pages to get through the first chapter. No, no, no. You can work through this page by page, segment by segment. And if you say, gee, you know, I have all these questions. It's not just about finding the answers, but I have all these questions and I don't know where to begin. I don't know what questions to ask. The book helps you do that, too. That's true. And the book also, I think most importantly, helps you get reengaged with the truth telling, Wanda, that you were talking about earlier. And directly with the one who is capable of doing the most about it, Absolutely. from whom we are typically the most disconnected, right. and that is God himself. Absolutely. And if you say, as sometimes people that have gone through traumatic experiences do, is that I am so frustrated here. You say, pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't mm-hmm. know where to begin. Right. right. This book can help you reignite your prayer life, that communication with God in very honest truth-telling ways. Right. And Wanda, you said it earlier, we deny it all the time, but God's got big shoulders. He can handle he it all. Can, absolutely. And that was my, again, another thing that held me back from just tell, just telling the truth, you know. And when I was able just to say it out loud and, and how I felt about it, when they say truth will set you free, they are not kidding. Mm. For the, I had never experienced that before. But that's when I started to sleep through the night, and I didn't even know that. I didn't see the results as quickly as she did. People often think that if they, if they if they speak this out loud, they're going to relive the trauma, and therefore they're making things worse by speaking the truth. In reality, continuing with the lie or continuing mm-hmm. to stuff it down, mm-hmm. that's what's creating remember, the problem. You don't have to speak the trauma. You have to speak the truth. You mm-hmm. never have to talk about the trauma ever again to recover from it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't have anything to do with talking about it, and that's why a lot of people go through life spending 25 years in traditional therapy, mm-hmm. and then 10 days in a setting of not really having to talk or cry or forgive. This has nothing to do with any of that. It's just about brain work, engaging the left and the right side of the brain. That allows me then to go, oh, God, you're not that big, mean, ugly. That It kind of clears my vision. Mm-hmm. One thing that you we know? haven't touched on that, that I want to have you both address The central focus of the Christian message, of course, is forgiveness, reconciliation with God. And we see so much talked about in Scripture about God forgiving us, the work of Christ on the cross, that God might forgive us, that we should not carry aught against another, but we should forgive. I've looked. I don't see any passages that teach me how to forgive myself. And if I spend a lifetime blaming myself and accepting the lies... Wow, how do I do that? How do I forgive myself? 
well, there's silence here, so I'll <laughs> fill still it. I'm trying to learn that one. But. I'll fill it. I think, well, I think it's a lifetime job. Yeah. I think that, because I think that's the one greatest way that Satan wants to defeat us and beat us up. Um, and so every day, my ability to forgive myself rests in the fact that I trust that I am who God says I am. I am who God says I am. And what he sees me to be, because I, I see imperfection, I see that I fail. But I don't have to strive. I just have to every day give up. Get I get up to 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 glorify God in that day, and um, I have to believe that I am I am that that perfect daughter that that beautiful daughter of Christ because Jesus died for me, and I'm not going to diminish what He did by wasting my time. You know, living in shame or with guilt. And, and so, what a relief it can be to finally come to that point, to be able to rest in that point, saying, you know, I've, I've spent an entire lifetime compensating by trying to be perfect, trying to not make mistakes. And yet when I make them, then I beat myself up even more because that, that compensatory methodology is not working suddenly mm-hmm. again. And to realize, guess what? And God sees you in all your imperfection, too. And he has provided a means by which... You get to get off the hook. Yeah, yep. you're no That's longer right. responsible. And I think maybe as we, it, it, to maybe in part answer my own question, we begin to understand more about forgiving ourselves as we draw closer to beginning to understand God's desire and willingness mm-hmm. to forgive us. It's not yes. just that through Christ we can have forgiveness as an experience, but that the whole purpose of Christ's death on the cross yeah. was to have that available to us and experiencing that grace and being able to apply that grace of what he has shown toward us and say, wow, if he's let me off the hook, Mm -hmm. if he's forgiven me, then it's got to be a lot easier job for me to do than I ever imagined. And and that's a particular place of of battle right there, too. Because once you you understand (laughs) that, you know, Satan, the blowhard, doesn't really have anything that he can hold over your head... He doesn't want you to get that message. Right, of course. <laughs> you know, so so that's a hard place to get to. But once you understand that that's that the truth will set you free, mm-hmm. oh, that's glorious. That, that liberation yeah. is one that it's, it's, it's there's you never, not you any never other stop freedom. celebrating that, no. do you? No, yeah. you really don't. That's right. Nope. The yep. book is a good place to start, and as Wanda has mentioned, there are tons of resources available inside of the book. There are also tons of resources available at ptsdperspectives.org. That's ptsdperspectives.org. That long journey begins with the first step, as all do. And so I hope in what you've heard today, either for yourself or for a loved one, that you or you can encourage them to take that first step on the road to healing and restoration and experience and wholeness. And if you've spent a lifetime convincing yourself you're not worthy, I think from what you've heard from both Shelley and Wanda today, the good news is, oh, yes, you absolutely are. Absolutely. Love Letters from the Edge, Meditations for Those Struggling with Brokenness, Trauma, and the Pain of Life. Again, more information about the book and many of the resources that we've discussed today, available on the web at ptsdperspectives.org. That's ptsdperspectives.org. I want to thank both of our guests for being with us today. And uh, Wanda, go produce a radio show, would you? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Thanks again. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. At a prayer vigil and rally today, these African-American pastors and other pro-life supporters charged Planned Parenthood with, quote, blatant racism and said the group targets African-American women for abortions. They want Congress to stop their funding. Planned Parenthood, no more will you receive one dime uh, dipped in the blood of black children. But today we come to stop what Planned Parenthood is doing. We want to break it, bring an end to the genocide of African-American babies. Part of what prompted this protest are some phone calls now on YouTube by pro-life advocates to Planned Parenthood clinics around the country. The callers were testing the employees to see if they would accept money intended for specific race-based abortions. Here's an example of a call to an Ohio clinic. When I underwrite abortion, does that apply to minorities too? If you specifically want it to underwrite an abortion for a minority person, you can target it that way. You can you can specify that that's how you want it spent. Okay, yeah, because there's, so de- there's definitely way too many black people in Ohio, so I'm just trying to do my part. Wow. Now, as unbelievable as that bit of audio that you heard is, uh, it's absolutely true. And it's absolutely incredible that there are members of the African-American community who don't get that, who don't understand the genocide taking place right underneath their noses. Thank God for people like Reverend Walter Hoy, who's been a frequent guest on this program that has been working on billboards to help educate people across the country as to the genocide that's taking place. Well, a remarkable new conversation that has come to light. Uh, Comments made by Reverend Carlton Vasey, who is with the, quote, Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, close quote, sounds a lot like military intelligence to me, that is now suggesting that women need abortion because political forces have denied them health care. With some insights on this, Kim Katola joins us. She's a pro-life advocate, former host of CBS News Talk Powerhouse WCCO Radio, and she joins us now by phone. Kim, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us. What is your reaction to, to the remarks by by uh, Reverend Vizi on this topic, this idea that, that women find abortion as a necessity because, quote-unquote, political forces are denying them health care? Well, first of all, Craig, uh, thank you so much for the invitation to speak. You know, I've been listening um, throughout the program today, and I love your show open about comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And I I entrust the second half of that (laughs) dictum to you. (laughs) I'm really called to comfort the afflicted. This is my interest in the issue because I know the lifelong consequences of abortion. And the idea that abortion is health care for women or that women need abortion because there's some gap to access to health care is um, not true. And it's a, it's a non sequitur. One doesn't follow from the other. Um, generally, the people who perform an abortion on a woman are not part of a woman's health care team, even part of her health, reproductive health care team. Uh, abortion practitioners tend to specialize, if you will. They're specialists just like, you know, they're a specialist to remove spleens, if you, uh, if you want to put it in those terms. And uh, there's seldom any sort of relationship requiring any bedside manner or health care beyond the procedure for the person to be giving to the woman. Uh, it's a separate entity in the lives of women. What, what I find completely unconscionable about this, Kim, is the fact that uh, Reverend Carlton Vizi, who is with the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, 
um, recently participated in an interview on National Public Radio, uh, the audio of which, by the way, is is posted on Kim's website, and we'll share the address with you in a moment. Uh, what I find absolutely shocking is here's an African-American who is basically advocating abortion on demand in the black community, uh, apparently either ignorant of or choosing to ignore the fact that while fully more than 30% of the abortions that are performed in America today, 30% um, of them are African-American women who apprise 13% of the U.S. population, divided in half, because of course half of that number are men, and the last time I checked, men couldn't have kids, so we're talking about 6.5% of the U.S. population, but then we have to narrow it down to those of childbearing years. So in reality then, Kim, 3.25% of the U.S. population is having 30% of the abortions in America, and somebody like Reverend, uh, Reverend Vizi doesn't see that as a problem? It's stunning, isn't it? And, you know, in the debate that you're referring to, it was, I think, July 18th was the date, um, and it aired on NPR. Um, both the host and Reverend Vizi took issue with Ryan Bomberger's initiative, TooManyAborted.com. He's uh, got an organization called the Radiance Foundation. I'm not personally acquainted with Mr. Bomberger, but I'm very much an admirer of his work. And in their conversation about whether or not these billboards have any merit and whether or not they're based in truth, Reverend Vizi pretty much said that, well, the reasons that those rates are higher have to do with other factors, uh, that, um, you know, this has to do with poor educational opportunities and this has to do with uh, socioeconomic pressures uh, and that Planned Parenthood is there providing health care. It's not just that they're there for abortions. And, and, you know, there's no, first of all, there's no logic to his, to the thread. I mean, I will give him the benefit of the doubt and maybe say that maybe something was edited, <laughs> you know, in, because I know that happens in radio. But the way that his statement came across in the interview that NPR aired, uh, it follows the logic that I've heard from organizations such as those that Reverend Beasy represents and, and other people who are clergy. And the reason why this is so um, important to my heart is that as a person, a person that is who suffered from abortion, I knew that it was immoral after I had made that mistake. Uh, and when I went looking for a resolution to the guilt, people condoning it to me and people telling me that I had done nothing wrong only increased my distress. And that is what, you know, when, when women go to clergy, when women hear from someone who has the title reverend in front of their name, that there's no moral problem with killing an innocent child, uh, all we're doing is denying them their one opportunity to find repentance, their one opportunity to find redemption in our Lord. And so um, for me personally, it's, it's distressing that clergy would perpetuating moral confusion. Well, and I think in that moral confusion too, Kim, it is setting women up for, in some cases, a lifetime of an internal rage that results from the confusion raised by an innate sense of this is a baby, this is 
part of my DNA. This does represent me insofar as, you know, 10 little fingers and 10 tiny toes, etc., etc. And there, there's something, I think, innate in us in the core understanding that, yes, this is a life and that no amount of denial otherwise is going to change that factor. And then women find themselves suddenly in, in, in a post-traumatic stress disorder kind of arena where they feel guilty, they are confused, they are angry. Uh, there's a whole host of emotions going on. And instead of providing hope and healing and restoration for women that are in a post-abortive situation, instead what these kinds of of, of so-called ministers are doing, and I put that in quotes, they they are exacerbating the problem. They are, in fact, adding to the anger and the frustration and the rage and the confusion. And and instead of helping out, they're they're actually making the situation worse. I I want to pause on that point for a moment, uh, because when we come back after the corner, a topic uh, too important not to get down to. Uh, some debate on, and that is this notion that women are being forced into this, they're being left no other choice than to abort, because again, in the words of Reverend Vesey, women need abortion because political forces have denied them health care. Excuse me? I'm Craig Roberts, back to more of our conversation with Kim Katola as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation. Our guest tonight is Kim Katula. She is a former host of CBS News Talk Powerhouse WCCO Radio and um, joining us tonight to give some insights as to uh, what seems to be yet the next level in this ongoing debate. An important one, I think, because as we have articulated on this program in the past, there is a genocide taking place in America today. It's clear. It's concise. It's calculated. It is being driven by organizations like Planned Parenthood and sad being entirely ignored by so-called leadership within the church today, and shockingly so, by members of the African-American church, who apparently, Kim, have chosen to sort of whistle past the cemetery and pretend as if all of this is not happening. What I don't understand is that Barack Obama comes into office in the first 24 hours of his presidency. He reverses um, what had been a long-standing so-called Mexico City policy, Title X funding, the very first official act that he engages in is basically a thank you tip of the hat to the uh, the abortion industry and then on top of that uh, sets in pace the most dramatic change in health care in the history of our nation and now suddenly suggests suggests that political forces are denying women health care in America and that's the reason why they need abortion i don't quite get the logic there well it's it's actually a logical fallacy it's called poisoning the well so if you can convince people that those who are opposed to killing the unborn because they're a human being, that they're opposed to it on political grounds and they're playing politics with women's lives and all the other uh, rhetorical slogans that get thrown around, if you can convince them that these are religious fundamentalists and that they're uh, playing politics and they just have an agenda and that there is no human life and that there is no grief reaction, including the rage that you so eloquently described before the break, Craig, well, then, sure, it makes sense. You know, you're playing politics with women's lives. It sounds like a, you know, a serious charge. But, of course, it's all political on both sides. And the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, first of all, check the name. A coalition is a political organization. And, indeed, if you look at what their activities involve... They're heavily involved 
in the justice aspect of the abortion question, and they have, uh, you know, legislative activity all over their organizational literature and websites. Well, if they were going to even be true to their moniker, it would suggest that they would be as equally defensive of those on the Planned Parenthood side of the equation as they would be maybe uh, demonstrating on behalf of First Amendment rights of those involved in the pro-life movement, because after all, if you are supporting reproductive choice, doesn't that suggest that it's an either-or, meaning you either abort the child or keep the child? If so, where is the voice that is being lent to the saving of the child's life side of this equation. Apparently, in reality, there is none. Well, and, you know, when Reverend Carlton Vesey said to Ryan Baumberger on this NBR interview you referred to earlier, um, earlier this month, he said to him, you, you have moral on your side, but we, are, we also have morals on our side. And that's a problem for a, a person who is representing God's word. I mean, there's morals, and there's truth, and there's something else. There is not morals on your side and morals on my side. I mean, either either abortion takes the life of an unborn child or it doesn't. And either you believe that's unjust or you don't. And you can go to God's Word as your moral standard, or you can simply go to human decency. But you can't both be right. About the truth. Well, the other irony behind this very twisted line of thinking, too, that is being promoted by those in the religious community uh, that come down on the side of the equation of, of this issue is the idea that somehow, because there are certain societal ills that have to be dealt with, whether we're talking about lack of opportunity, lack of education, uh, lack of proper health care, etc., etc., that somehow we're going to be able to address or cure a social ill uh, through the extermination of a people group. I mean, if we're going to take that reasoning, then all of us ought to applaud Adolf Hitler because they considered the the Jewish question to be a social ill in Europe during the Second World War and their final solution, so-called, to that problem was the elimination of an entire people group. I don't understand if if we apply evenly and fairly, Kim, that same reasoning across the board, then it seems to me that America or the world owes Adolf Hitler an apology. Well, I, I really, again, want to give credit to Ryan Bomberger, and you can find the interview on his website on, I think, the Radiance Foundation is the name of his organization. If you Google that, you find him. And what you'll see, I think, as you, as you look at his work to raise awareness and to educate on this issue, is his deep and abiding respect for black families and his love for black children and his wish to see them, you know, be given life and be given a chance at life and a deep and abiding respect for black women that they would be treated with the dignity of motherhood, you know, um, as opposed to the statements of Reverend Vesey. And what's interesting is the Guttmacher Institute, the the NPR host, um, said that uh, the Guttmacher Institute was a nonpartisan organization. (laughs) Which which is fully owned and operated by Planned Parenthood. Well, and I don't know that they still are, but they certainly began there. But they they also state clearly in all of their literature that they are an abortion rights organization. Now that's political, isn't it? If we're talking about rights, absolutely. The so Marker Institute put out put out this report, which the Los Angeles Times published in 2008, about the racial disparities in abortion, and indeed noting from the Guttmacher Institute, again, an abortion advocacy organization that this racial disparity is real 
Uh, but they concluded, because they always do policy analysis in addition to their so-called reporting, they concluded, and I'm quoting here, this much is true, in the United States, the abortion rate for black women is almost five times that for white women. Anti-abortion activists, including some African-American pastors, have been waging a campaign around this fact, falsely asserting the disparity is the result of aggressive marketing by abortion providers to minority communities. And they went on to conclude that these pastors appear intent on trying to protect minority women from themselves. And no, the pastors are trying to protect minority women from abortion. It couldn't be any clearer. And yet it seems as though Reverend Beasy simply picked up the Guttmacher talking points and somehow went along with their justification. Well, cl- clearly, Kim, there is a very dangerous agenda at foot here. Let me uh, jump to a quick call here or two before our time is up. James in Union City, come on in with your comment or question for Kim Katola. Hi, Kim, and uh, pleasure to be on your show. I, I had a question. Uh, a few months ago, a friend of mine, we were talking about this subject, and uh, he, he had told me that uh, basically uh, uh, Planned Parenthood couldn't use our tax money for abortions. So I looked into it and looked like on their website, that that's what they're saying, that they can't. Uh, but they must be using some kind of double talk, I think, because it seems like that is what they're in the business for. So I wonder if you had any clarity on that subject. All right, good question. Uh, Kim, any insights you can offer our caller here? Uh, you know, it's not my area of expertise, so my understanding of it is that the funds are not fungible. Uh, and again, I'm not an accountant, but in other words, um, you, you can't... You can't set it out. You know, you, you might be able to make envelopes for your grocery money versus your rent money in your home budget, but once <laughs> once they've collected their uh, donations, because they are a nonprofit, as well as their uh, political action funds, because they're a PAC, they, uh, they have, you know, an aspect of their organization that is a political action. And then uh, the reproductive health services versus the abortion services, well, how do you really sort that out? Well, you really can't. It all goes into one organization. And at the end of the day, okay, let's say that they're not directly using the tax dollar to perform an abortion, but they're taking monies that are then being shifted somewhere else so that they're either using the money to promote abortion in the black community or that frees up dollars from other areas to perform abortion. So in the end, it's all the same thing. To suggest that it's not all coming out of the same pot, so to speak, uh, James, is... Go ahead, please. The proof is in the pudding. Planned Parenthood has argued, I've heard them on the news, and I, again, not my expertise, but they've argued that it represents, that their abortion revenue represents only 3% of their annual budget. Okay, so, you know what, if they were against abortion, and they really were convinced that it, it takes a human life and that it harms women, couldn't they put that resource into helping women, literally helping women prevent abortions just by not offering to do it anymore? Well, I yeah. mean, point, point well taken. In the end of the day, it also demonstrates that the agenda behind the existence of this organization that is clearly out and available on the Internet for anybody to read goes back to the original vision of its founder, Margaret Sanger, and that is the science of eugenics, meaning the survival of the fittest, and the idea that certain people groups have a greater right to exist than others do. And one of these days we get more time on the topic. We'll dive into this a bit more deeper. We're unfortunately out of time. Kim Coltilla, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Folks want to get more information about the comments made by Reverend Carlton V.C. of the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. You can get details on that topic and on Kim's work on the web at Kim Coltilla, K-E-H-E. 
T, I'm sorry, K-E-T-O-L-A dot com. That's KimCatola.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.